Are you ready to turn your investments into retirement income? Listen in as Jeremy Kyle and his guests reveal ways you can make smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions to achieve your ideal retirement. You will learn more about your money so you can feel better about your money and make better money decisions. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into a consistent income. And today, we brought someone on the show named Justin Fitzpatrick. He's with Income Laboratory, and there's probably two things I, I like most in life. One is income, retirement income, and I was a physics major, so laboratories are a great idea too. I think we're going to connect well, Justin. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeremy. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, we got connected uh, through LinkedIn and some different things that you're putting out there. You do a lot of research. It's probably the laboratory part of your name. And just maybe talk about what Income Laboratory is and how you got into that into that business of, of creating a software company about retirement income. Yeah. So um, we are a software company. We build, we build systems for helping advisors and their clients plan for retirement, plan for retirement income, you know, plan for realistic experiences and, and, and help them gain confidence around retirement. But like you said, we, we really live at, you know, the intersection of research with, with practice and practical matters um, and, and then technology. So that's, that's really where we try to live. And so we have a, a, a strong focus on, on research, on kind of trying to figure out how retirement really works for people and, and how things can be done better. So both engaging with academics throughout the world. There's a, a lot of a lot of great retirement planning, financial planning programs at universities that we've connected with. And then we have people on our team and in our advisory network that are also doing research. Uh, you mentioned kind of how did we how did we decide to start the business? Yeah, I would say I was doing research, and in this sense, I mean kind of looking at the research that already exists. There is just a ton of research on retirement planning, retirement income planning, both at universities, like I mentioned, and even outside of financial planning programs. So in, financial economists love love retirement because it's just so hard. There's a, a guy named Bill Sharp. He's pretty famous in the investment world. He used to be a professor at Stanford. He may still teach a little bit or be emeritus, but he, he called it the the, the hardest, nastiest problem he's ever worked on. So a lot of great stuff there. And then practitioners are all over it as well. So I was doing research, kind of seeing the lay of the land, the, the, the state of the art, and just realized there was a big gap between that state of the art and what advisors and clients could actually do and scale and deliver in their, their real lives. So that's what the, the company's all about. Well, that's great. There's so many great things you said in there. One is that you're doing things based on research. It seems like a lot of clients are doing things based on what their friends may have told them or maybe what they observed with their parents. And of course, uh, things have changed in the last 20, 30 plus years. And also too, where you said you're trying to figure out how does retirement really work for people? A lot of people hit retirement and they've never retired before. The only thing they have to base this off of is what they've seen other people or what they read in the news and a lot of decisions you make at 62 might affect you later on in life and making sure that you've got a good research founded comparison of what might these, how might these decisions impact me later on is a, is a huge deal. And I'm going to say before I finish up here, Bill Sharp, did he win the Nobel prize? He did. Yep. Yep. And he's kind of famous for, I guess I would say putting some math behind 
diversifying portfolios, right? Kind of what, what's the point in, in investing across a lot of different uh, securities? Yeah, exactly. So a Nobel Prize winner called retirement the hardest, nastiest problem that he's ever faced as far as, you know, in the academic world. What are the, what, what chances do the regular folks have at presenting re- retirement? And thankfully, there's people like you and your software that's, that's able to give somebody a fighting chance on here are the decisions you get to make with retirement and how might it work out uh, for you in the long run. And speaking of how it might work out in the long run, one of the things I like about your company and your approach is you're also researching how do retirement softwares, how do retirement pro- approaches present the different situations that are out there. And I love your uh, one quote I saw was, when clients see a Monte Carlo analysis, we won't even bother talking about that, but when somebody sees an analysis showing an 87% success rate, they might think they have a 13% chance of living under a bridge eating cat food. And that's not quite the case. What? Tell me what you meant by that. Yeah, I think so much in life, in our decision-making, can depend on the framing of information. And, and for the last 20 years or so, retirees have often been presented with a retirement plan and, and, a, and a talking about the risks of that plan in terms of success and failure. And then it's left as an exercise to the reader to decide what failure means. And it sure sounds like that means financial ruin. It sure sounds like, yeah, more colorfully living under a bridge eating cat food. But that's not what retirement risk is really about. We are so fortunate that risk in retirement is not typically catastrophic. It's, it's, we're not talking about huge, sudden, unforeseen changes. So retirees generally have lots of time to adjust as things, as things change. And for most retirees, those adjustments are usually positive because they, they often begin retirement somewhat conservatively. But even if, even if they aren't positive changes, Historically, at least, uh, research shows that relatively small adjustments downward would have saved any retirement. And so I think getting away from that framing, that language of success and failure, which just brings to mind the wrong pictures, is a, is a big positive toward helping retirees understand what retirement will actually be like. Yeah, let's let's talk about that success and failure. And of course, uh, I said we weren't going to get into Monte Carlo analysis, what that means, but we'll just summarize it. And let's just say you had a, a hundred different situations that you run. Usually it's a thousand or 10,000 or more perhaps. But let's just say there's a, a hundred different options that you run of what your retirement might look like. And if the numbers show that you have an 87% success rate, summarizing, I'm sure maybe you and some academics are grading at the way I might say this, but uh, if there's an 87% chance of success, that means one out of your hundred options there, one of your hundred times that you ran worked out exactly as you thought. 86 of them worked out better than you thought, and 13 of them weren't actually a failure, but just some adjustment needed to be made. And that's what you're trying to focus on is that there's an adjustment that may need to be made in those failure situations. You didn't see my air quotes, but I put them out there. Uh, (laughs) And how do we actually, let's prescribe what that adjustment should be. And meanwhile, that 86 times out of 100 that this example shows probably came in better than you expected what adjustments are safe or maybe allowable to go up if things work out better? Do you just stick on your head in the sand and, and don't spend more when you actually could spend more? You know, is that really what you're going to do? And I just love how you're going through this. And basically, I just wrote down here thinking that when you're presented with these numbers of here's a standard success rate, that's basing it 
uh, your retirement on just some standard process or some standard software that is designed to be all things to all people. And you're probably also thinking at the entering of your retirement that here's the rules. Like there's this 4% rule and that's just going to last for the rest of my life. And that's just not the way to approach it. Your suggestion, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you need a focused retirement income software that focuses on the unique situations that face retirees. And you don't need rules that start at the beginning of your retirement and stay that way forever. You need a process to evaluate how your retirement's going and what adjustments you make in retirement. So I guess first respond to that and let me know what I may have made a mistake. And then talk about this thing called dynamic planning, which I think is what you're uh, promoting. Yeah. So there's a lot there. I, I would say to the first point, a- absolutely. So we really want to get away from this this retirement binary, this idea that you either succeed or fail. Let's see which it is. Really, it's a landscape, right? Anything from typically life working out a, with a little lower income than you expected to, in a lot of cases, much more than expected. So we got to get away from, from the binary there. And the other part is probably even more important, which is Research in reality shows that rules of thumb, they aren't really very useful in, 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 your, in, in making specific decisions. They're, they're fine to kind of help you understand the landscape or some kind of concept, but taking them and applying them blindly in your life is usually not the right thing to do. So um, we just published a paper on how withdrawals from investment portfolios typically are shaped in retirement. And if somebody retires, you know, maybe they're fortunate enough to be able to retire rather early, you know, maybe it's late 50s or early 60s, there's usually a period before before Social Security kicks in or maybe even before a pension kicks in. A lot of pensions really reward you for waiting a little while. Well, your withdrawals might be quite high then, much more than 4% early on. And that could be just fine. Your plan could be that you know, in the future, we're going to reduce those those withdrawals. So that's a good example of where a rule of thumb, which does have something to teach us just in general, can't really be applied to a specific in individual situation. So we're, I, I think, what we've discovered in in research, both within Income Lab and and really across the industry, is that you need a specific plan and ongoing monitoring and managing of that plan to deal with kind of all the idiosyncrasies of, of, of your life. Don't try to just apply rules of thumb blindly. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's so many judgment calls to be made. You're, you're not going to get it from a calculator that just assumes this is specifically how life's going to work for the next 30 years. I'm trying to, I'm thinking of an example here now, and you mentioned you've got uh, some younger kids. I've got kids that are just a few years older than you. They're at the point now where they're in the back seat and they're keeping an eye on the speed limit and they're keeping an eye on how fast I might be driving. And so I've tried to share with them that it seems like even though the speed limit is, is 65 or 70 or 55, the rule of thumb is it's probably safe to go about nine miles an hour beyond that. You actually, you're probably safer going a little bit higher than the speed limit because everyone else is doing it as well too. So that's an interesting thing, trying to tell your kids to follow the rules. And yet here's a rule that's different than what you see. But that's a rule that you need to adjust. I see a police officer on the side of the road, I'll probably adjust it down. <laughs> I have a bunch of people on my tail, I'll probably adjust it up and move to the right. Uh, if all of a sudden everyone stopped ahead of me, I can't say, well, the rule is speed limit 55. I have to drive 55 and then you get in a car crash. 
there's dynamic planning that people go through all the day just driving down the road. And what you're suggesting is maybe you ought to apply that ability to change your path, change your way you're going and make different decisions when you're faced with different situations in retirement. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think, again, the, the real blessing that retirees have is, is there, there's somebody at the steering wheel, right? It, it's not that we're launching this thing at the beginning of retirement and geez, I hope we had it pointed in the right direction. So uh, to continue your car analogy, I think that's a good one. You know, the app uh, Waze, or I guess probably even Google Maps and things does this now, yeah, right? Yeah. So you'll set out with a destination in mind and, and maybe you have an estimate of kind of how long it's going to take you and so on. Well, if something happens, there's a crash or there's a bunch of traffic, you might reroute, you might um, just have patience. <laughs> and that's that's just normal. That's that's the way that's the way life works. Another uh, example of this that I, I really like is, you know, early in the space program, we were just trying to get people into space, just just shoot a rocket into space. So Alan Shepard, he basically rode a rocket on a giant parabola, shot up into space and landed in the ocean. There wasn't, I, I, it was literally, I don't think he did any steering whatsoever. So if you're, not that that's simple, but that is simple compared to landing on the moon. In order to land on the moon, I, I know this since it was the, the 50 year anniversary recently of the moon landing, there was a lot of talk about this. Neil Armstrong, who was the pilot, he had to do some really fast thinking right at the end because the, the original landing site was covered in boulders. Um, if they hadn't had somebody at the steering wheel, that, that would never have been successful. And we couldn't have guessed starting on the earth, just, well, let's just make sure we shoot this rocket in exactly the right position and we're not going to make adjustments. No, the adjustments were crucial. Anytime you're trying to accomplish something complicated, accomplish something big, you know, you better be able to adjust along the way. Awesome. Well, I think we've sufficiently explain that dynamic planning is a better way to go than rules of thumb and just standard software. Let's talk about some things that are probably going to put people in the right direction that will probably help them uh, have a higher chance of success, probably have a a better uh, outcome in retirement. And a few of them uh, involve taxes and your investments, but in in a different way. And one of them is called asset location. What do you mean when we're talking about asset location? Yeah, so typically in asset location, people are talking about, well, first of all, they're, they're focusing on the fact that really it's, it's, it's not what you make, it's, it's what you can spend. So kind of long-term being tax aware and tax smart can mean you'll have more money that you can actually spend, so, so more net income. So asset location typically means being really strategic about what kinds of assets you hold and what kinds of accounts. So if we're in a, a country with just a, a, a whole menagerie of, uh, of account types, right? Anything from your 401ks at work or 403bs, 457s, you know, just so many numbers out there to taxable accounts, to Roth accounts. And so a lot of researchers think that there's, there's some value to be gained in, in being smart about where you, where you hold different assets and in, in what kinds of accounts. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. And I think it's interesting when I see things in the press, just kind of like what consumers read compared to what maybe a, a good financial, a good retirement advisor might read. A lot of the focus is on these rules of thumb. So I can't can't blame the reporter for putting that out there because you're just talking to a general audience. But it's rules of thumb on what do you do with your investments? 
there's not as much rules of thumb or a process around other things like pension and social security decisions. There are sometimes mentions of the tax decisions, but it's usually more in that area of called asset location of, oh, well, your bond fund is better off in your IRA and your stock funds are better off outside of your IRA, that kind of stuff. But you go beyond that and say, wonderful, go ahead and do some good asset location, put the right investments in the right type of accounts. But go beyond that and say, well, where do you take your investments from? And taking investments from your traditional IRA works different than if you take it from your Roth IRA, works different than if you take it from your bank account, or if you take it from your taxable brokerage investment account. And that's something that your software is looking at, which I think is a, a great thing. And not too many uh, advisors or just the, the standard, here's your success rate type of software is actually looking at what do you do for when you take money out to to make a determination of how it affects your taxes. And, and I know that you're looking at it. I know that we're looking at that. And you probably can't give an exact number, but how helpful is it to to worry about where you're drawing money from, where this IRA or Roth or taxable, how helpful is that? Yeah, it, it's it, it's one of these cases where, again, like you said, rules of thumb are, are really difficult to apply. But it's not uncommon to see somebody, especially somebody who is planning, maybe they're in their 50s or 60s, so really before they get into their 70s, it's not uncommon to see projections of, of being able to cut taxes over your lifetime by 20, 30, 40, 50 percent, with all the important caveats of we don't we don't know what tax rates will really be in the future and, and, and so on. But that's not uncommon. Now, the interesting thing is, in order to do that, often people have to kind of shift their mindset, which might be, well, let me minimize my taxes now. That makes it makes a lot of sense that that's that's what we, we might like to do, right? That's uh, that's sort of the immediate gratification. But sometimes ripping off the Band-Aid can mean uh, tax savings over the long term that far exceed any short-term pain with the taxes. So again, it depends very much on the situation. And typically, people need to have assets in tax-deferred accounts, things like 401ks, IRAs, and so on, for this to be a, a planning opportunity. But for that, that's, that's not uncommon. And, uh, and like you said, it can really make a difference. Well, good. And so the idea of tax planning, where you take money from, or even intentionally paying taxes on purpose upfront to get into accounts that have a better tax situation later on. I, I think I've seen those exact numbers too. When I'm running through and seeing projections, it I see it all the time that you could ignore that tax planning opportunity or based on the current tax rules, your lifetime tax cost could be 20, 30, 40, even 50% lower. So it's a huge situation that you ought to be planning for. Another big situation you ought to be planning for is your social security decision where you can project out and say, well, based on your life expectancy and, and based on everything going on here, if you take social security at a certain age versus another age, it could be tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars of a difference to you, to your spouse, to the, you know, to the plan to say, I'm going to take social security at a specific amount. And so here we are with perhaps tens or hundreds of thousands of tax help by being a tax planner on when do you take your taxes and how do you go about it. Maybe a similar dollar amount as far as waiting on Social Security. What I haven't seen, I think, uh, anecdotally, I have a belief that the combination of doing your tax planning and the combination of perhaps waiting on Social Security is probably even more powerful than just the 
those two separately. What, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, it's actually what I was thinking as you were as you were talking about Social Security is some people may not be aware of this, but Social Security is never 100% taxable. In fact, it could be not taxable at all for some people in some situations, and it, and it varies year by year. So what we were just talking about with kind of controlling your taxes over time, maybe paying some higher taxes now in, in exchange for lower taxes in the future, that absolutely interacts with your Social Security claiming decision. Do I take it? At 62, do I maybe I wait till full retirement age or maybe till 70? If you are doing some some tax planning and, and maybe doing some Roth conversions early on, it can often make sense to then delay Social Security, both because of what you said, which is if, if you have a long enough life expectancy, that could really pay off in gross income. But but also we might be able to receive that gross income and not pay taxes on it, or at least not pay taxes on most of it. Whereas if you have higher taxable income later in life and you're receiving Social Security, that Social Security could be up to 85% taxable. Just to be clear, that's not an 85% tax. That's uh, 85% of those dollars are taxable. Yeah, it's it's interesting. A lot of people focus on the Social Security decision and they think about how does this affect me individually and what's my individual break-even time frame of if I wait a certain amount of time, I gave up the Social Security for a year, let's say, but I'm getting a higher amount for the rest of my life. What's my break-even rate for me individually? And yet Social Security, if there's two of you in the couple, a lot of people enter retirement where there's two of you to start with retirement, that decision affects the both of you for their, their lifetime. So it's not a matter of I make a decision on Social Security, how does it affect me? It's how does I... How does my decision on Social Security affect the both of us over our lifetime? So that's a, something to keep in mind. Uh, and then too, like you said, not all of Social Security is taxed. At the worst, you get $100 from Social Security and $85 of it shows up on your tax return at the worst. And we're in the state of Wisconsin. Social Security is not taxed in Wisconsin. And so if you're focused on the break-even only, especially the break-even even for yourself, you might miss how this is going to affect the both of you how Social Security is going to affect especially the surviving spouse. And you're almost definitely going to miss how you making a decision to perhaps take money out of your traditional accounts early and pay taxes on that traditional account early perhaps allows you to boost up your Social Security, which will be at least a portion tax-free. That increase of Social Security, part of it will be tax-free at the federal level. And in the state of Wisconsin and perhaps others, it's that increases 100% tax-free from state income taxes. And so there's some additional thoughts and, and things you ought to look at, especially the tax piece of how is Social Security taxed. When you're thinking of Social Security, it's not just about break-evens and longevity and I get this dollar amount next month. It's how does it affect my surviving spouse and how does it affect our taxes when there's two of us or one of us? It's Jeremy Kyle here, and I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our 5-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com, use the number or spell it out, and you'll get there either way. 5stepretirementplan.com. Thanks for listening, and now for the rest of the show. Yeah, absolutely. And there are, we actually have a, a piece 
outlining state taxes. There are quite a few states that that treat retirement income, especially Social Security, but but often even withdrawals from IRAs, pensions, things like that as either tax-free or tax-advantaged in some way. So like you say, from a state tax level, a lot of states are very retiree-friendly. The other thing I would say is Social Security is such a, an important part of most retirees' lives, and it actually becomes more and more important the, the longer you live. So typically, research shows that people spend less money as they age, maybe into their 70s and 80s, than they did in their 50s and 60s. 60s, potentially with a little uptick in, in spending toward the end of life. That means Social Security, which is one of the few uh, inflation-adjusted income streams, kind of outside income streams that people have, will play a, a larger and larger part in your life as time goes on. So an extra dollar of Social Security really has a multiplying effect. It's sort of more than a dollar of extra income long-term because of that uh, that effect. That, that effect, by the way, of spending less as you age, sometimes people, there's a few names for it. Sometimes they call it the retirement smile. To me, it looks a little <laughs> bit like a ski slope, or I've heard it called the, the go-go years. So that's early and retirement. The slow-go years as you slow down a little bit, and then the no-go years toward the end. Well, and just even right there, having these uh, kind of thoughts and rules of thumb are a helpful thing. Like just having the thought that is uh, a go-go, slow-go, no-go situation gives you a fairly accurate picture of what life might look like. And then, of course, you got to apply the process of, okay, based on that knowledge and that generality, what are we doing individually? And I love, we're going to talk in just a second about what your software does. But before I do that, you've mentioned so much research, and I'm going to ask about one particular but tell me about your research uh, paper that said planning for a long life is actually risky. A lot of people think, oh, I'll just plan to live to 100. That'll be a conservative uh, way to go. So in case we live to 100, I, I won't uh, run out of money. Hmm. So why is planning for a long life risky? And where can people go to get all this great research that you have going on? Yeah, so I, I think this is a great example of probably the, the overarching message is be careful of rules of thumb and life is complicated and retirement is complicated. So we've already talked about a bunch of things that interact with each other. So you can't just take one thing, kind of put it in a silo and and decide on that and then move to the next thing because everything is, is so interconnected. So this idea that planning for a long life could be dangerous is exactly that. So if your life were super simple and the only income you had in retirement was was the only money you had to spend was, was taking it out of your your investment accounts, then planning for a long life would seem to be conservative, right? For exactly what you just said. Hey, I, I don't want to be wrong on the short end. I don't want to arrive at 100 and not have any money left. So I'm going to plan for a long life, even though I know that's, that's uh, relatively unlikely that most of us make it past 100. But on the other hand, we just mentioned there are other income streams, things like Social Security, uh, pensions also come to mind. A lot of a lot of folks will have a, a single life pension that goes away if somebody somebody passes away. Social Security in a in a joint household, uh, typically you'll have two different Social Security streams, and if and if one person were to pass away, the the combination of those things will change. So maybe someone will take a survivor's benefit at that point. The point is that if you plan, let's say, for both spouses to live to a hundred, and your spreadsheet or your financial planning software is counting on all of the income related to that person being alive through age 100, it's probably overcounting. 
it's probably painting too risk, too rosy of a picture of of how much income, dependable outside income, is available to this family over time. So it's prudent to kind of trim back, trim that back. Look, I, I hope. Every, People do live live long and happy lives, but it's it's prudent to take into account. Well, you know, what if we don't, or what if one person survives the other? What what will that look like? And so that's what we meant by it can be risky. And we had some examples of if if you ignore uh, kind of the actuarial the the mortality probabilities, then then you could really end up overspending and then having to adjust quite a bit. Yeah, and that's it's interesting. A lot of people look at Social Security decisions, or they're trying to plan this out in a spreadsheet and they say, oh, what are the odds? Well, we like to look at the odds. And a lot of times the probabilities and the odds are, are somewhat easy to find if you know how to do that and, and how to explain it on there. And uh, I might, I'm going to be directionally correct, but not exact. And that if you're 62-ish and there's a couple, a lot of people, a lot of advisors will look at, oh, let's plan on you living to 100, both to 100. Well, I got a feeling it's less than a 5% chance that both of you will actually live to 100. It's maybe like a 10% chance that one of you might live to 100. Is there probably directionally correct numbers on there. But again, go look up and see what those numbers are. And if you are relying on the social security, relying on your pension, and you're making a, a spreadsheet decision, that's only going to happen five or 10% of the time. Yeah, you might be out of luck there. And you explained to me earlier that you actually somewhat adjust for longevity and adjust for that probability. You say, okay, that's great. You've got this going on with uh, pensions and social security, but let's not count on it as much when you're 80 and 90 and 100 compared to let's count on that uh, right away when you first when you first start with that is that a good explanation of how we how you go about that that's right yeah so say you have a, a pension of a thousand dollars a month that's that's going to go away if if one of you dies in the you know the hardcore calculation engine right that's that's cranking out hey hey this is how much we think you can afford per month we're not going to count on $1,000 being there at a, at age 100 or even at age 90 because, like you said, that especially the chances of, of both people being alive that long is uh, relatively low. The chances of one being alive is, is typically longer. It's, it's often a surprise. Uh, joint life expectancy is often a surprise to people. So, again, it's this... This kind of interplay, this sort of tug of war between different considerations, and they're all important. Um, that's why, again, that's why Bill Sharp called this the, the nastiest, toughest problem he's ever worked on. It's There's so much interplay and, and competing uh, considerations that it, it's it's kind of a consequential area of life and, and, and worth doing a little more than just applying rules of thumb. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. So... I like here, I'm just getting in my mind that a lot of the software, a lot of the calculators are more uh, descriptive saying, okay, you got a, a chance of making it and here's what it might look like. And yet your software is prescriptive saying, that's wonderful. Now let's take a look every year, especially, and see how are you doing? And based on how things are going, either how you're doing on your own end or how maybe the markets and inflation and things like that are kind of giving you an environment that you're living in retirement through, here's some prescriptive things that you ought to be doing or at least considering. And I'm looking at a uh, part of your your software here that says, yeah, here's the balance. So that's kind of nice. Okay, we know how much we might have. But here's a proposed amount of income that you could be uh, living on based on that. And then it gives, well, if the balance drops to a certain amount because of what's going on with uh, the market, you ought to adjust your income down based on that. Or if the balance gets to a certain amount above where you're at, 
here's where you could likely adjust your income up. And so it's very prescriptive of here's kind of a, a guardrail to be uh, taking a look at. I just uh, went bowling last night with my my seven-year-old and we had bumpers in the lanes, right? Because uh, she is definitely not throwing the ball straight down the middle. And so you've got these bumpers on the um, the bowling lane of your retirement saying, well, if uh, things don't go as well on the one hand, just make an adjustment. And if things do look uh, pretty good on the other side, here's a s- adjustment that is probably going to work out and isn't too high of an adjustment, but some that you can probably feel safe to affording uh, on it. And there's some other things in here that say, well, here's the number of scenarios that are above their, your plan. And not just a matter of, okay, you've got a 13% chance of success or failure, but what does that failure maybe look like? What's the, um, what's the average failure look like? Okay, this, if, you, if you miss your retirement spending by a dollar, the software, this, the standard software will call it a failure, and yet you probably wouldn't even notice. And so you're talking about here, if you need to adjust things down, how much on average do you adjust it down? What's the worst case you saw? based on all the probabilities. And on the opposite side of if things are working out well, what's the average amount of income that you could probably increase it? What's the best case scenario, which you know is unlikely to happen, but it's kind of nice to, to dream. Those are all great things that you have in there that it's being very prescriptive of here's how you're going through and adjusting your retirement over time. Yeah, I view it as having a plan for change. So I think most most people who've really thought about it would would say, yeah, we're we're going to adjust, right? This isn't we're, we're not going to it's not going to be financial ruin, and that's great. But the next question is, well, well, how and what could that look like over time? Let's actually have a plan for change, not just we'll change when we need to. Okay, well, when are we going to need to, and what will the changes look like? So, the plans themselves contain those we could call them contingency plans or guardrails, as you say. Uh, and those guardrails are always based on total the total holistic picture, right? We've, we've already talked about a whole bunch of places where idiosyncrasies and, and specifics of a household can, can matter. So we don't want rules of thumb. We want things that really apply to your specific information and, you know, things that will change over time. So maybe right now I have, you know, a million dollars and and if that goes up to 1.1 or 1.2 million, I, I, my plan will say I can spend more. That's great. Well, in 20 years, if I still had a million dollars in today's dollars, well, my plan is shorter. So probably now I can already afford more, right? I don't need 1.1 or 1.2. So taking into account how things change over time, even something as simple as, well, you know, we've aged 10 or 20 years. Things are, because of that, the outlook is different. That's really important to always, always keep up on. So I think we may have talked about this before, Jeremy, but it's, you may hear people say something like, it's not the financial plan, it's the planning, right? That's the important part. So keeping on top of things, keeping the process going will allow you to make smart uh, decisions, smart adjustments over time instead of, again, just kind of shooting the rocket up and seeing where it lands. Yeah, thank you for using that phrase. I don't know if I got that from you or maybe uh, maybe I influenced your saying that, but we very much believe that you're not working with us for a financial plan. You're working with us because the process we use to help with your planning and planning on an ongoing basis is so incredibly important and understanding that things will change and having a process, having a plan for how do you adjust those changes out there is exactly what your software is looking at. I'll tell you, I'm not using your software yet. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners, a lot of my clients know we use a different uh, software, but uh, you've got me thinking. And when I came across your software, I thought we've just got to talk because the way that you're approaching retirement 
is exactly the way that we think people ought to be approaching retirement. And it's a lot more research focused and based on math and uh, I'll call it science. It's not quite, but let's call it science uh, on there compared to just the rules of thumb and, and just descriptions of you'll be all right. Uh, okay. If you'll be all right, what does that mean? Should we adjust things up or here's a failure? Okay. Well, how do we adjust things down? And it's, it's great that you've got this uh, prescription that's coming out of the, the planning that you're doing. How would somebody uh, learn more about your, your company, about your software and all the, the research that you're doing? So the first place is probably go to IncomeLaboratory.com. So that's all spelled out, Income Laboratory. There's a resources section there where we post a lot of our research, but probably an even, even, even easier place would just be to follow us on LinkedIn. We announce a lot of research there, whether it's you know published on our site or we've, we've published in a lot of other outlets as well. And there'll be a lot more. But on the on our website, IncomeLaboratory.com, you can also just sign up to receive updates. And that's a great place to start. That's great. Well, Justin, I'm definitely already following you on LinkedIn and, and all those places. And I am so much looking forward to diving further into your software to see how we might be able to apply it to our our clients. So we'll be looking forward to that. I just want to thank you for for coming on and just explaining not just about your company, what you do. I think that's that's important, but just the the, the more broader picture of why is having a dynamic approach to retirement just a better way to go. So th- thank you for that. Yeah, I appreciate the invitation. And um, yeah, I think I'd probably just finish by saying we wouldn't have started this company if if it if we had bad news for people. I think what we found was if we can do smarter, more realistic planning, ongoing planning, dynamic planning. There's actually a lot of great news. It's sort of a message of hope. So I think if if people are out there feeling kind of down about their prospects for retirement, um, often when you really dive in and do a, do a complete plan on your specific situation, the news is better than you might think. So ending on a message of hope there. I like it. I don't know if you have a podcast yet, but you should call it Good News for Good People. How's that sound? <laughs> All right. All right. I'll take it. All right. Awesome. Well, well, thank you, Justin, for coming on. And thanks, as always, for listening to the Retirement Reveal podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you will feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit retirement-revealed.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is a part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.